Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We read, children, verse 1, Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And then verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Tomorrow we have a national day here in the United States called Father's Day. Yet, how well are we as a nation fulfilling the role of father? Last Sabbath, Mr. Smith spoke about the about principles of child rearing and how seriously we need to treat that responsibility. And that can't be emphasized enough considering the direction that our culture is going and particularly how it affects our children. I'd like to read you something that Josh McDowell wrote. Uh, the This is part of a an article called uh, Youth Morality, Cultural Tolerance, and the Classroom. And it's under the subheading, Christian Youth Morality Affected More by the Classroom or Parents? Question mark. And then he writes, it's not that our kids are rejecting Christianity. It's that they have been influenced to define it according to their cultural setting. They are putting together their own religious canon in a smorgasbord style, led to believe that it is better to pick and choose from various ideas, concepts of God, and religion around them. They construct a tailor-made, quote, faith that's just right for them and offends no one. For example, listen to Amber, a typical 16-year-old Christian from a Christian youth group, as she responds to the question, is it wrong to engage in premarital sex? Well, responds Amber, I believe it's wrong for me, but do you believe, asks the leader, that the Bible teaches that premarital sex is wrong for everyone? Amber takes a moment to weigh out her answer, and she finally says, I know it's wrong for me, and I have chosen not to have sex until I'm married, but I don't think I can judge other people on what they do. Our culture is is marinating in thinking that is contrary to the ways of God, and we're being forced to watch. And we're being forced to watch as our children are marinating in that culture to the point where, as I just read in that example, where a willingness to go along with or accept, whether it's, uh, I'll say, sodomy, or whether it's transgenderism, well, premarital sex is, you know, is a, is a small thing compared to some of the, the weirdness that we have now. But they're being forced to accept it as okay, otherwise they're being judgmental. And that's where we are. But how did it get this way? How do we get to the point where evil is called okay and good is called judgmental? One of the most basic answers is bad leadership. And I mean that in two ways. Bad leadership, let's just analyze it for a second. Bad leadership, I'll say historically, from Satan to Adam to our current leaders all throughout history, so many of our leaders are and have been bad. They've been sinful, even wicked, unrighteous, living and thinking contrary to God's ways. Romans chapter 3 makes it clear that that is the bane of our history of mankind. Romans chapter 3, and we read verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. 
There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. It goes on. And it's a, you might say it's a a label that could be affixed to the history of humanity. But the leaders haven't been any better. In other words, you expect leaders to lead the way and being examples of something better, but it hasn't been that way. So, bad leadership, number one, and just simply being bad, and they have shown bad leadership by, frankly, making bad decisions based on wrong thinking. I'm talking, I'm, I'm using a very broad brush for leaders throughout history making bad decisions that have led to consequences that have been really marked by suffering for humans throughout our history. Now, can we do anything to change that? Well, of course not. God has allowed this and continues to allow this reality as part of his overall plan to to humble mankind. Closer to home, in one generation, many of us saw the church of God decimated from tens of thousands, more than a 100,000, to few thousands. I couldn't help but think about that last Friday as I walked around the campus and had the, I was actually, Rhett and I were able to go inside the auditorium where I spent hundreds of hours. I worked in that auditorium and, and, and what it is today and what's being done and what's being worshiped and all of that. It, it's, it's mind boggling to think of what was there and what's, what it's like now. The words dedicated to God are no longer on, by the way, on the marble in the front of the auditorium area, but the, you know, the, the, the chandelier is still there and the carpet still looks beautiful and the auditorium is still, uh, it, it's still a, a credit to excellence as it was intended to be. But in every major city across our country here and across the world, every major city that had hundreds of members now has dozens. Maybe. There are areas where a thriving congregation existed, and there is no congregation at all today. And we know that God allowed this, make no mistake, but at the core of how it happened, we find, again, bad leadership. And I I mean this in both ways. Bad as in people who are unfaithful, people who are disobedient to God, people who were truly unrighteous, and Bad, as in people who made bad decisions in leading and influencing other people, embracing and teaching falsehoods. So we need to learn from the past. We want to become good leaders. We want to become better leaders. All of us do. And we all take our turn at following, and so we should be good followers as well. But we also need to grow as as good leaders in the broadest possible sense of the word. Good as people and good in how we lead. But here's a wake-up call. It's too late for you and me to make a lot of dramatic changes in our leadership ability. I'm sorry to say that, but that's the reality. After years go by, we become, our, in our terms of our personality and our skills and so on, we, we can make changes, but dramatic changes are not certainly typical for us as we go on in, in years. We can work with what we are, and we can work with what we have as far as talents and skills. I, you know, I've had to reach the point where I've given up, just recently, I've given up my dream of becoming an Olympic figure skater. Because I've realized that I'm probably not going to be able to do it at this point. 
It's just a dream I have to let go. But, and that's the way it is with, I'm kidding, by the way. By the way, I, I did want to mention that um, in terms of congratulations, and we have a lot of congratulations today, and uh, and I want to mention, if you weren't aware, that next week my son Everett uh, is getting married to Haley Artis down in South Carolina, and uh, and I'll tell you, you know, you, you, you always wonder when is that moment? What is the moment when you know? And it happened not too long ago for me. I mean, when you know that a girl's right for your son. Um, it, was, it happened not too long ago. It was down in Walterboro. And, and I, I, I said a joke at services in a sermon. And Haley, who was attending services that day, she laughed. She burst out laughing. She was the only one that burst out laughing. <laughs> that was the moment that I knew she was the girl for him. So, there you have it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding about my Olympic figure skating dream, but you do come to a point in time where you realize that you're not going to be able to maybe accomplish everything that you wanted to. Your body, you're physically not going to be up to it, and, and you, you accept that. And we come to a point where we realize that our job is to work with what we have and, and really maximize the skills and so on that we, we have. But we're not going to make a lot of major dramatic changes, um, certainly even in our skills and even in our leadership abilities. We're working with and leveraging what we have. But for our children, it's a different story. You see, it's not too late for our children. In fact, it's the perfect time for our children to learn leadership qualities when they're children. See, we are shaping or neglecting our leadership, the leadership qualities and the potential for leadership qualities in our children depend upon how we approach it. And you might say, leadership training for kids? I mean, shouldn't we just let them be kids until they grow up? Yes, we should. We work with them as kids. But yes, it is today that we are training future leaders to be future leaders. And there you have the title. Training future leaders to be future leaders. Now... First question is, why are you talking like this? Well, let me just touch on a couple of points. Our personality and character is shaped when we are young. Let me read you something from a BBC.com article that really says what I think we all, we all know. You've heard this, but let me read it so we, we put it on the table. Anyone who has young children of their own or spends time with them knows that it's tempting to look for signs of emerging personality traits in a baby's giggle or frown. The latest psychology research suggests that speculation might not be entirely in vain. I mean, I know we look, you know, in, in, in babies for how they who they look like. I know we've had the, uh, uh, the opportunity to have my daughter Natalie and, and, and Rafe, her little boy, with us this week. And, and I, I've noticed that people will say, well, he looks just like you. But when I look at him, he's always making some face like this or something, something like that. In fact, the one, uh, the, the baby face that was on the cover of the Plain Truth magazine with that little baby scowling, I think that's the one that somebody said, he looks just like you. And so I'm not sure that's a compliment or not. But, you know, we look for these little signs when they look like us. But as the article was saying, 
There's also a serious side to this field. Increasingly, researchers are realizing that the roots of adult psychological problems may lie in behavioral tendencies that first appear in early childhood. By learning to recognize these signs, it might be possible to intervene carefully at an early age and help to help steer children on the path to a healthier future. And the Bible says it a little differently. Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. And we read verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, the Proverbs tell us that there is a truism. And the truism is that children grow up to be like they're taught when they're a child the way they learn as a child. In fact, some say that certain aspects of personality and character are set as young as age three. And then there are some who will argue that it's six or seven or eight. The point being, the point being, all the studies show that how children are raised and how children learn and, and how their personality is developed at a very young age has repercussions down through the years. And that is beyond dispute. And the scriptures basically say this. We oftentimes will focus on, okay, training them and what happens if they make mistakes later in life or they do something that's different where we know free moral agency is part of their life. All of that. But there's a fundamental point, and that is training small children and children as they grow up is truly important. Teach, train, test. Teach, train, test. Teach, train, test. Again and again and again. Break it into parts and get it right. And teach and train and test. That's what it's all about. If we're going to make a difference in their life in 10 or 20 or 30 years down the line, we have an opportunity, the greatest opportunity of all, when they're young. Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29 in verse 17, correct your son. And, and this can be rendered to discipline. It can be rendered very broadly. It means, it means take the time to work with them. And then it says your son doesn't specifically mention an infant or a child or a teenager, but I think the point is, is made. Correct your son, discipline, work with your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. And because he will learn to make good decisions. He'll learn to build success in his life. Now, God knows this. <clears throat> Obviously, he inspired these Proverbs. But if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7, God advised this and commanded this with the Israelites when he gave them Guidance as to how to work with their, their children. How to establish, really, a, a righteous nation. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we, we read here in verse uh, 4. Well, let's jump forward to verse uh, 7. He says, You shall teach them, that is verse 6, The words I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them, When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
hadn't actually thought about it till now, but look at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Something you may not have thought of, but it is a, I think it's a truism that, that fits broadly speaking. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, when we have the Ten Commandments enunciated, we read verse 12, Honor your father and your mother. Now look what it says after that. And we, we typically think of this in a very individualistic way. But there's a broader uh, meaning that's, that's very plain. And it says, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. If you don't teach your children obedience, respect, decency, all the things that, that, that build a, a society that can function in peace and harmony, you will, you will cease to be a nation. Because nations cannot exist in chaos. And so there's not only an individual, it's not just about a long life. It's about you as a people, he's saying. You, if you teach your children, you'll bring peace upon your land that will extend down through to through generations. Back in, De- in Deuteronomy chapter 21, we read about this, this statement. It says, if you have a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, that when they have when they have chastised, chastened him, will not heed them. And it goes on and talks about stoning them. Why, why is that? Because it's a recognition that as the years go by, certain character traits are cemented in a, a young man's life, ultimately. We're not, rec- I'm not encouraging anybody to, um, you know, after services today, say, you have been noisy today during services, uh, Johnny. It's time. You're done. You know, and I, that's not what we're talking about. But there's a, understand what I'm, what I'm saying here. There's a recognition that attributes, personality traits, and character traits become cement, cemented as time goes by. So God emphasized the importance of training children in godly behavior so that when they're grown up, they will be exercising godly behavior. And in doing so, there'll be examples and leaders that God will use to continue to build his church and his family. So what I'd like to do then with that, that starting point, I'd like to ask and answer the question, what are four primary attributes of a leader? And apply it to thinking about children. Because my point again is that we can raise future leaders, but if we're, if we don't raise our children today to be future leaders, then what will end up is those who are not leaders, but instead those who will not stand, those who will, will not be able to, to deal with those who press against them and will try to, uh, try to steamroller over, over them with uh, the morals and the ideals of today. So there's a lot of areas that we can work with our children, certainly to develop leadership. And the way that we work with them and how we work with our children changes as they grow. And I hope you don't mind that I'm uh, doubling up on the the topic of children and, and child rearing with uh, Mr. Smith last week. I'll use where where he went as a stepping stone to to this topic, and I think it's appropriate with Father's Day in particular. So um, so please, if if having two sermons in a row uh, on children and child rearing is is something that's troublesome, you can go ahead and and if you put your fingers in your ears, I'll pretend not to notice. So that's fine. So, for the purpose of this sermon, then let's begin with, with the leadership basics for our children. And 
Every leader must have four fundamental attributes to make a, a positive impact on those around him or her. So I want to identify four leadership attributes and see how they apply to training our children. First of all, number one, character. Number one, character. In the last 20 years, 30 years, character training has been introduced into some schools. Um, some schools have recognized that it's important and it's a pathway to good conduct. I'll give you an example. William Bennett wrote or, or edited the Book of Virtues. And that Book of Virtues came out now a number of years ago, but it was, it was recognized and there were even character-based uh, curriculum that were added, curricula that were added to school, different school systems. And you may have seen some of those, been familiar, maybe bumped into them, but it, it's, it's not as if as schools aren't aware of the importance of, of character. So, for example, this book of virtues teaching the values of dis- self-discipline, compassion, responsibility, friendship, work, courage, perseverance, honesty, loyalty, and faith was uh, was promoted. But the problem with, with national leaders and with sports leaders and politicians and movie stars and influencers is that they don't provide, and they're the ones who are the most, most present models for behavior, they don't provide examples of good character. So they are bad leaders. So what children see... And what have seen typically in our culture is bad examples leading astray. And by the way, just for what it's worth, and I think sometimes, um, sometimes we we think, well, our you know kids are fine, but when you look at, at kids and when you you see the clothes they wear, the music they they listen to, the way of speaking. The, 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 the phrases that are used sometimes in language that are popular, when you, when you look at the inside jokes, the funny phrases, the, 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 the lines from movies or other pop culture that pop out of, of their, of their mouths in conversations, and you may know what I'm talking about, but when, when the, when the medium of conversation revolves around pop culture, I don't care if they're sitting in a church pew. They are influenced by the world around. And sometimes I, I think we don't, we don't realize that, you know, what dominates conversation is out of the, is the abundance of the heart speaking. And as I say again, if the, the references, the cultural references that, that are part of our language and our interaction are all from movies and uh, the, the latest uh, Seinfeld episode. I know that's going back some time now, but our friends or whatever else might be the typical ones. That What that means is there's an influence that is being soaked up. And just because... They sit in a pew next to you, and I say they, I'm talking about younger generation. It's the same thing with older generation in other ways. But the reality is, it's being soaked up. And where does it come from? Where does it come from? The influence that a lot of particular younger generation is under, it's, it's, they don't recognize where it's coming from. So sometimes I think it's useful to say, for example, to say, okay, what that phrase, who said that? I don't know. 
Who said it? Well, you go back and you find who was the starter of that particular cultural phrase or way of, of dressing or whatever. And then my question is, so who are you following? Who are you following? You know, a number of years ago, I think it was, uh, it was an eye-opening experiment, but a number of years ago, I gave a sermon at the feast on, on music. And I, music in the millennium, I was trying to identify some characteristics and, of, of music and, and so on. And I, I thought I would do some examples of music of today. So I just went to Billboard, the top hit of, the, of that week. And I said, I want to play you what the top hit is today. So we have a comparison. And I started playing the, the tune over the, the sound system. And it was about three bars into it that there was this gasp from a large part of the, the younger audience. Because they knew what was coming. And I played it right up to the point where the foul, perverse language was. And then I stopped it. Now, how did they know it was coming? The reality is that that's what they listen to. So don't kid yourself, okay? Don't kid yourself that... And we're all guilty. I'm not trying to just point the finger. I'm saying the reality is it's, it's more part of our world than we want to admit many times. What I'm telling you as fathers and as mothers and as fathers-to-be, some of you who are younger who want to be fathers, are you going to take responsibility for, for building character in your children so that they actually learn to do right or wrong. They learn that is not good because the source is bad. I'm just using very fundamental terms. The source is bad. It's wrong. It comes from people who are bad examples. Therefore, we need to say, no, make a judgment, and I'm not going to participate in, 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 in that foulness. And we need to teach our children to make judgments like that because character is what enables a leader to do what is right even when it's difficult. And if we want to train our children to be future leaders, we need to train them to do the right thing even when it's difficult. Difficult for them because they don't like it. They don't want to be told no. So they have to deal, they have to learn to accept no and do what they're told by their parents and then ultimately by God. And so that they can be able to inculcate into their very being a, 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 a desire and a sense of importance for what is right, even when it's, when it's difficult. And you know what that does? That makes them a leader because we are willing to follow a, a person who is clear-eyed on what is right and wrong and can always be counted on to do the right even uh, when others don't. Isn't this what we read about in Daniel chapter 1? Daniel chapter 1, we won't read the whole account here, but Daniel chapter 1 is all about doing what is right even when others aren't. Doing the right thing is important for us as parents to teach to our children. Doing what is right. Daniel chapter 1, I'm not going to read the whole section here, but we we come to the part where we see in verse 8, and Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank, and you know the rest of the story. I'll point you to it, how they refused to take the things that were not right for them to eat. How did they have the character to, at this age, to stand, to stand firm? This is what I ask. You know, we don't, I wish we could read about their parents. Because this doesn't happen by magic. This doesn't happen out of the blue. And you know, I, no, I can tell you why. It's because 
Apparently, there weren't too many other people who were standing with them, were there? But they were all, yet they were among, at least a, a certain number who were with them, were, were, were from the same place they were. But their parents taught them to stand on what is, what is right. That's character. That's character. How do they have it? What does it say about their parents? What did, what is this, what does this say about the training and the tireless training that you parents go through with your, with your children day by day, hour by hour, the constant training? It says it counts because when it came to standing up and being leaders who are recognized now, their names ring in history and they were used for a purpose by God, that happened. They were leaders because they were taught to be leaders a long time before that. They can relate to, to clear lines. And, and, and isn't this one of the things that children do have to face? As they go from toddler stage into young children and to, and to older children, and I don't know everyone's situation here. I only know the situation I grew up in and that of my, of my kids, where there were is, issues that children face, where they have to say, no, I'm not going to go to that Christmas party. I don't keep Christmas, sorry. Or, no, I'm not going to be part of that um, activity that's on the Sabbath. No, I can't play in that game. I know my parents are weird and we do this Sabbath thing, but, uh, you know, I can't play in that game. I actually said that one time, by the way, in a baseball, all-star baseball, couldn't be in a, uh, you know, play in a tournament. Yeah, I know my parents are weird and we keep this Sabbath thing, but uh, all the, the rest of the team were like, oh, man, you got it rough. Yeah, I know. I, I, I stood up. Maybe I, I stood partially up in that, in that situation. But, but uh, you know, they're, they're, with your scenarios, and it's good to actually have them involved in situations as they, as they begin to grow up, where they have to enunciate their belief, and they have to take a stand and say, no, I can't participate. I won't participate. But that comes by teaching. That comes by actually coaching them in it. That comes through time, as they learn what the right things are to do. They learn why they're here. They learn when you explain about the Sabbath day. This is why we're here instead of going somewhere else. It's not just because we have to go to church. It's because this is the Sabbath. And here's how we treat the Sabbath. Here's how we treat the Sabbath differently. All that coaching is what, is what goes into what is right. But that's laying the groundwork for them being leaders in the future. Last week, uh, Mr. Mr. Smith read uh, Genesis chapter 18, where we read how Abraham... We, I'll just read the, the passage in verse 19... Where, where we see God said, I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and judge justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has, what he has spoken to him. So he said to Abraham, I'm going to ground you. I'm going to teach you so that you can ground your children in an atmosphere of admiration for doing things right even in difficult situations. I'm going to give you a legacy. I'm going to tell you the story of Noah. I'm going to tell you the story. You think about it. How do we know the story of Abraham and Isaac? It's because Abraham and Isaac, you think Isaac didn't tell that story to his children? And you think he didn't tell it to his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren with admiration for the dedication of his, of his father and what it meant? And it also reflected on him and his faithfulness in his dad. How many times do you think that story was told over the campfire? Again and again and again. 
So what stories as fathers and as families do you have of character? We're going to talk about character and building a legacy of character. What stories of character did you grow up in? I'll bet you can remember them. I bet that you can remember them as part of the the, the legacy of your parents and what was woven into your understanding of what was right and wrong and what was important. And I'm I'm thankful, thankful that my father told me the story of keeping the Sabbath when he was 12 years old. And having to talk and tell his his father that he could not go out and do a day's work on the Sabbath day, even though he was number eight and everyone else had left, and he knew how it was going to hurt his father. And I I appreciate him telling that story. That wasn't bragging. That was saying, look, this is what I had to go through. You you need to do the same. And it's it's part of a legacy. What stories do you tell your kids? You know, that's the challenge, I think, with... The, with, I'll say, iPhone and everything else today is because we are so distracted by all of that stuff, maybe we don't talk to our kids enough and tell them the stories of the old days and, and, and tell them what's important. Just listening to a, a particular uh, talk where the guy was talking about that, how he the greatest uh, hindrance to, frankly, the, the brain development of his kids was um, iPhones, you know, because it's always there. And it's, it's a whole lot more exciting to watch, you know, the latest TikTok video than it is to listen to dad or mom talk and tell stories. They're just not as good at it as TikTok. But what stories of character are you teaching your children? And, and what have you learned from, from your parents? Now, I remember, I'm going to tell my mom here, she uh, practiced, you may not realize this, but you have an accordion champion player in your midst. Uh, she, cha- she practiced for months and months and months on the accordion until she was able to play this song called the Saber Dance so, so well that she won a contest, a big contest at a Schrader Hotel in downtown Milwaukee. And it was the hundreds of people competing and, and she won. Now, she doesn't look like she might be a championship accordion player, perhaps, but that, there she is. And she, but she, she practiced for months on end and she, she won the contest, but she didn't do it just by picking up the accordion and, and playing it one day. You know, it doesn't work that way. It worked, it, it's because of, of work and effort and that's, showing character in action when we talk to our kids and they see us and they hear us to talk about things. We read, 2 Timothy chapter 3. By the way, that's the beauty of photographs, is you can look at the photograph and you can then talk about what, what happened. You know, what was that all about, dad or mom or grandpa or grandma? 2 Timothy, you know where I'm going here. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we read verse 14. He says, verse uh, 13, evil men and impostors will go worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so he, he highlights the fact that he was being taught even as a child. And he mentions the scriptures here, but I don't think that that's where it ended, in just reading a scripture, but it was... It was learning about life. And the scriptures were a a fundamental core part of it. No, we need to 
We need to emphasize with our children character, and if we do, they'll be developing an, at, an attribute that will help them to be leaders in the future. Second point, and that is perspective. Perspective with our children. In other words, helping them to understand the why. Not to convince them, but to help them to gain understanding. Now, pers- with our children, there's there's the importance of, of helping them to understand why, I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's not talking them into the thing that we want them to do right. It's actually, it's actually required them to do the right thing, but talking about why things are the way they are. That gives them perspective. That's, that's important. For example, Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. We can't win our kids or talk our kids into obedience. But we see Exodus chapter 13 and verse, verse 8, when we read about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and, and he says then verse uh, 7, Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no unleavened bread shall be seen among you. But verse 8, And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. So he says, look, let me tell you the story about what happened and why we do this. That's giving perspective giving perspective. Here's why we keep this night. Here's why we keep this day. Here's why we keep the Sabbath. I mentioned that before. Here's why we go to services. Here's why we stop doing these things at sunset and we start doing these things. Here's why. That's perspective. And it helps to frame why, it helps to frame our world. So the why, under perspective. Here's another part of perspective, and that is insight. Insight. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. When I talk about perspective and the importance of teaching our kids perspective, I mean insight, which is gained from parents teaching and reading and listening. It's, you might say, it's how wisdom is built. So Luke chapter 2, and we read here, Luke chapter 2 and verse, uh, verse 46. And, of course, this is the section where we read about his, his parents going to Jerusalem for the days of unleavened bread. And verse 46 will go directly to this little section that highlights what I want to highlight here. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. So what he was doing is he was, the teachers in this case, were, were giving him insight, explaining things. Um, and he says, and, and that led to then him being able to, to speak. He says, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. You know, it's wonderful to be able to, as a child, to, to be able to teach a child, uh, wisdom so they gain insight. I, I, I'll give you an example. Um, when I was, I don't know how old I was. I really don't. I'm thinking 13 or 14, maybe 12. But my grandfather, this is, this is my, my mom's father, he took me to this, uh, big event down in, in downtown Milwaukee, and it was called something like, I tried to write it down, but I think it was something like Up for Success. 
And it was at the Coliseum in, in Milwaukee. And it was this big, uh, obviously like a stadium, arena, where the, they play basketball and so on, filled with people. But it was all about being successful. And Bart Starr spoke, for example, gave an inspiring speech. I think Norman Vincent Peale was there. And a lot of these, uh, these guys who were the inspirational speakers, it was sort of a, but it was a biz, more of a business, business, businessman type setting where those who wanted to succeed in their business and everything went. My grandpa took me with him. And I sat with him and some of the other men that were along with him, I sat with him there for the day. Now, I, I, I say that, that meant a lot to me because he was interested in me gaining insight into what successful people think about. And he, he cared enough for me that he'd be willing to take me, this kid, along with him in hopes that I might learn something. But it was also gave, it also gave us something to talk about. And he was inspired that I was interested in hearing what I heard. And these guys were good, too. I mean, these were inspirational speakers, and they were excellent. And so I use it as an example as, for me, I, was, I appreciated that desire for my grandfather to give me insight into success. We, we need to, with our children, we need to broaden their perspective by trying to give them insight. That's what wisdom is. That's what the Proverbs are about. And, uh, and uh, I learned also from my father the same. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. One time we went on a fishing trip, and as we came out of the woods, we'd been in the woods for about a week, and... We were at a, we stayed, stopped at a hotel, and my dad got a phone call from my mom, and she told him that uh, he needed to call so and so. It was uh, his, his boss, and I heard the phone conversation, and his boss was pretty upset. And the first thing my dad said was, "Don't you talk to my wife that way?" Okay, first of all, because he was not pleased at how his boss had laid into uh, my mom. But he, he listened to what the gentleman had to say. And as it turned out, as it turned out, this man was accusing him of following some minister off, you know, a, a, away from Mr. Armstrong. It was a big, a long a brouhaha at that time. It was a very, um, I'll say a very high up minister in the church at that time. And my father was doing no such thing. But he was away from the phone for a week because we were fishing. And there were no phones where we were fishing. And so... And so he was, he was away from the phone. And, um, so assumptions had been made by this, by this minister and ultimately got all sorted out. But why I'm, why I'm telling you this is that, is that, is this, that my dad took the time to explain to us boys who were with him at the time. He said, I want to explain something to you. He said, look, sometimes you'll hear things. Sometimes people will get upset. Sometimes accusations will be made. He said, you know, it all comes out in the wash. So don't worry. Just you just have to keep your nose to the grindstone and be faithful. And and I know in this situation it's false accusations. And and we just go forward. And uh, and he he talked about the scenario, not in a way where he was revealing confidentiality, but he took the time to give us insight into the fact that things will happen where you will be accused, even in the work, perhaps accused of something. Or, or, or maybe make a mistake, what have you, but things will happen and that it's important to, to deal with it in a way that's mature and remain faithful to God. Now, I'm, I'm taking the time to explain this because I, I'm trying to give an example that, you know, I, I found that was important for my dad to give me insight in that scenario and it's something that I, I've been able to stand on for decades since that time. 
What can we give to our children where we can help them to have insight and also help them the next part of perspective is vision, to have vision. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Proverbs chapter 1, and, and we read here in verse, in verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be graceful ornaments on your neck and chains about your, your neck. He says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like go, those who go down to the pit. And, and he, what he does, and the proverb does, is it lays out a vision. It lays out, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you a story. If you do this, if you follow this type of a person, here's what's going to happen. So what is that? That's vision. That's explaining consequences. It's explaining the, the, the aftermath of, of what's going to happen. That's important, but it's, it's, we're talking about perspective. Now again, I, I come back to the point is leaders have perspective because they can help people to, to see, the, to envision the future for good or for bad. Leaders have insight. They can, they, leaders point to wisdom and wise thinking as opposed to emotional responses. Leaders, this is the type of thing that leaders do. And if we want our children to be leaders, we teach them. We give, help them to have perception and fi- perspective, I should say. And finally, the fourth part of perspective I want to emphasize is, is real skills. Real skills. Because when we have skills, and I, let's go to Proverbs 22. When we have real skills, we understand a number of things better. We, number, we understand what it takes to to become good at something. So we appreciate good work. We appreciate people who know their stuff. We appreciate people who can do a good job. There is reward in in learning a skill, learning to be excellent in, in an endeavor. So we read chapter 22 and verse 29, for example. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. There's a value to, 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 to actually developing excellence. Whether for a child, whether it's a, a sport or a musical instrument or another type of skill, an academic skill of some sort or another, but something that can't be learned overnight, something that has to have 10,000 hours put into it to be, to be good, you know, something that takes time to develop excellence, that's something that's really healthy for, for young children to, to be involved in over a period of years. Now, I'm not saying you need to, you know, you need to have your life revolved around them becoming a Olympic figure skater or whatever it might be. But at the same time, developing skills as opposed to allowing them to bounce around depending upon what they like. Because nobody likes hard work. And so having them do something they may not like, but you know this is good for them. Day in, day out, and after 10 years, they actually can play the piano pretty well. But if after a week, and I I know this from a personal experience, I I learned to play the accordion for my mother when I was young. And uh, when I was five, normally we started when we were six, when we were in uh, first grade. But in my case, because I was, I I felt I was smarter, of course I was, I was 
the second, my sister, was older than me, and I, I, was, I thought I was certainly smarter than her. I, I said when I was five, I told my mother, I, I told her, I said, Mother, I'm a five-year-old now, okay? I said, Mother, I think I'm old enough to learn the accordion now, just like my sister. And she said, okay. And so we had a lesson or two. And after two or three weeks, and I realized that I had to practice half an hour every day, I came to my mother, and we had a talk. I, I said, Mother, I said, I think I'm not old enough to play the accordion yet. I think I need to wait until I'm six. And so I waited till I was six, and then I started when I was six. And uh, so, um, but if I would have, every time I would have been tired of playing the accordion, I said, look, I, I think I need to wait till I'm seven. You know, that would have gone on until I was 18, you know, and I could escape a playing, playing an accordion altogether. But, but, uh, you know, we, little kids, they don't, they don't know the value of doing something consistently and learning something consistently, whether it's the books, you know, or whether it's a musical instrument or a, a type of a game or even another type of a skill. Um, it could be whether it's learning to work with uh, woodwork or whatever it might be. So we see Proverbs 29 verse, uh, 22 verse 29 highlights the importance of a skill. So giving your child perspective creates in them leadership capability because they understand the why, because they have a sense of mission, and, and they're in on the plan, and they have insight. They've learned to develop insight into what is behind the ways of the world, the way things function. And this type of person cannot help but lead and also influence. Now, third point in terms of raising future leaders, and that is courage. That is courage. Courage is important from kids. From the time they begin to toddle, we encourage them, we give them courage, and their their courage is rooted in our courage. Joshua chapter 24, I'm just going to reference the scripture, refer to the scripture. Joshua 24 verse 15 is this famous statement. That Joshua made. And the reason I, I point to it is because it's a statement that surely echoed in Joshua's children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and on down to the generations. Because it laid clear where he stood. And you might say it was almost like if it could be put on a family crest. You know, that was something that echoed down through the years for his family. But he said this, And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, he said to the children of Israel, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land we dwell, you dwell. And I've seen this in some people's homes, you know, a little plaque. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What does it do to a child when they hear their parents say, Son, I don't care what that other family is doing. This is what we are doing. And I don't care that they're in the church. That doesn't make it okay. What we're doing is this, because this is the way our family functions in terms of Sabbath or whatever it might be. doesn't mean they have to be judgmental or condemnatory or condescending toward any other kids who are doing it differently, but our house is not going to be run by what other little kids say that their their family does. That's not the way we function. What that does, that's that's the modern day equivalent of Joshua. I don't care the other kids are serving idols. You're not. You know, maybe it wasn't exactly like that. But but when parents, when children hear their parents stand firm on 
what is right and what should, what's going to be done. That gives them courage because they're not on a shifting foundation as if the, they know what their parents are going to say. They know what their parents are going to say. Now it's just a choice of whether we will, we will, we will stand up to that, whether we will, we'll follow that. And I, I say that from personal experience. That gave me and my brothers and sisters great confidence because we knew that there were things that my father or mother, because they said so. No, we're not doing that. No. And that, that, that gave, that gave strength. Courage is, is strength of heart. It's a sense of obligation and responsibility. And this is what we read in Numbers chapter 25 when we read about Phineas, who said, no, this is not right, and I'm going to put an end into it. If you want to jot down Numbers 25 and verse 6. You know, you, I listened to a, an interview this week with Tony Volk. Tony Volk is a developmental psychologist who has done extensive work on bullying, bullying. And it's a fascinating presentation that he gave in the interview. And I'm trying to still process it. And I think it's some fascinating comments that he made in the, the studies that have been done about bullying. But the reason I mention it is because of the comments that he made about how the personality and character of a bully has a low honesty, low humility in the what's called the, the hexaco model of personality structure, and it's like a the next step after the the five uh, part, the big five, I guess, and it began in about 2000 being used. And so, but the uh, in his in this structure, a bully is someone who is easily inclined to use his or her power to get what they want through whatever means they they can. That's the gist of it. Low. It has low honesty. In other words, they don't care if they want to deceive anybody. They'll, they'll do what it takes to get what they want and low humility. They think they're good enough to do it. And again, it may be physical power. It may be emotional. It may be with girls even sort of a psychological uh, warfare thing. But it's that, that, that power is used to get what they want. That's, that's what a bully is all about. But you know what was fascinating to me as I listened to the interview? Part of what he, what he talked about is how those character traits and those personality traits are built from a very, very young age. And because of that, he said, as you, as you go through the whole, the, the whole interview, because of that, they can be, you know, might say nipped in the bud. They can be, they can be channeled. They can be trained. They can be modified. Yes, we have genetic, you know, built-in characteristics and all that. But his point was, if parents are working with their children, they can't, they can be, they can be headed off. And so what we want for our kids is the opposite, which is courage. In other words, courage to be able to use our power and our resources and our strength to stand up for what's right or for somebody who's being bullied as opposed to bully somebody else. And, and that's, that's what courage is about. But it's, it's exactly the opposite of this whole issue with with, with, with bullying, the, the ability to go outside our comfort zone, the ability to try unfamiliar things, and the ability to do the right thing that takes, that takes courage. I was going to take some time and read through the story of Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and uh, through 1 Samuel 14. I, I think I, I will not at this point, but if you want to note it and read through it as a, as part of this point, where we see that courage is contagious then. Courage is contagious. And we see that in, in that account because, and this is what happens with leadership. You know, when someone is willing to step out, then other people are willing to follow. And, um, and so if we, 
can help to strengthen courage in our children, then we are creating elements of leadership for them in the future. Okay, the last one I'll mention briefly before I conclude, and that is favor. We see in 1 Samuel, let's go to, let's, well, if you want to jot down 1 Samuel 2 verse 26, where we read about Samuel growing in stature, and it says, in favor both with the Lord and man. And we see the same thing is said of Christ in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This is following what we read before. And we see verse 51. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to his parents. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And look at verse 52 then. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So what is this, what is this talking about? What we read here, if we take more time and you dig into this, is talking about relationship skills. In other words, initiative, inquiry, interest, influence, active listening. This is, this is the ability to, to have good relationships with other people. And, and that's important for leaders, but these are, char- these are characteristics that can be taught to children. I've seen uh, videos where they show uh, children who actually at, are, have drive other people, other kids away because they don't have the ability to cooperate. And so their strength, their, um, their, you might say their, their dominant nature ends up with them as a, as a loner because they're not able to interact with other, other kids. Now as little children, they like to be able to have a give and take and you, you see that. But, um, this is something that can, you can talk about more uh, at another time. But the issue of favor is important in terms of this, these, this four parts of the elements that can be trained to children as future leaders. Now, as you're listening, the thought may have crossed your mind. Okay, these are fine for children. I'm not a, ch- I'm not a, a father. I'm not a mother. I don't have children. So this doesn't matter for me. But, Think about this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Have you ever thought about how these are characteristics that our Father is looking for in us? And as we're training our children in these characteristics, guess what else is happening? Simultaneously, God is training us in these very same characteristics, isn't he? He wants us to be able to cooperate, interact with other people. He wants us to have a perspective of insight, understanding, actually being able to appreciate skill because we've worked hard at developing the skills. So we have, we have, we have, we have appreciation for those who have. And we realize it with, sometimes we're humbled by other people's skills because we know what it takes to take on that, that ability and whatever it might be. Matthew chapter 3, you see, what we desire for our children, God desires for us. And I read Matthew chapter 3 in verse, in verse 17 here, because what we see God speaks to Jesus Christ are surely, certainly the words that we want to hear on our behalf, aren't they? We see verse 16, when he, had been, when he had been baptized, verse 16, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And then verse 17, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What a statement. What a statement. And is that not what we want to hear God say of us? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, we have the opportunity, as we have children, as we have grandchildren, as we interact with other parents, with their kids, and so on. We have the opportunity to actually help them to ultimately be in a place where they'll hear those words, perhaps from us, but ultimately from God, just as we wish to. Because I think that's what we all want to hear. Now, I ran across a poem this week as I was thinking about this, and I'd like to read it to you. It's called A Father's Prayer by General Douglas MacArthur. He writes, Build me a son, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know when he is weak and brave enough to face himself when he is afraid, one who will be proud and unbending in honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory. Build me a son whose wishbone will not be where his backbone should be, a son who will know thee and that to know thy himself is the foundation stone of knowledge. Lead him, I pray, not in the path of ease and comfort, but under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenge. Here let him learn to stand up in the storm. Here let him learn compassion for those who fail. Build me a son whose heart will be clean, whose goal will be high, a son who will master himself before he seeks to master other men, one who will learn to laugh, yet never forget how to weep, one who will reach into the future, yet never forget the past. And after all these things are his, add, I pray, enough of a sense of humor so that he may always be serious, yet never take himself too seriously. Give him humility so that he may always remember the simplicity of greatness, the open mind of true wisdom, the meekness of true strength. Then I, his father, will dare to whisper, I have not lived in vain. I don't know about you, but I I have a certain sense of foreboding when I see what is happening in the world around us. Foreboding because God's word warns us that there will be a time upon us called the time of Jacob's trouble. This will be the end of days. There will be a great tribulation. And our children may be the future leaders who bear the heroic task of leading the church through those days. With God as their ever-present guide, sure, but with the training that we give them today. You know, it's easy for us to focus on the importance of our tasks today, doing the work, feeding the flock. But what if, what if the greatest, the most important part that we have to play when the church history book is read and the history of the church is retold, what if the most important part that we have to play is how we prepared the generation that led the church through the time of the end of the age? If we taught them godly character, if we instilled a godly perspective, if we helped them to build courage, and if we taught them to be wise and gracious, merciful, and kind, and faithful, and dedicated, giving them, like Jesus, favor in the sight of God and man. What if we did that? 
so that during the darkest days of human history, the church can be led with strength. What a thing that would be, wouldn't it? You know, as parents, we're concerned about our children's success. But what is our measure? Is it the size of their bank account? Is it their status? Is it how great their job sounds? Is it their possessions, their house, their cars that they own? You know, the more important measure of success is whether or not they are a godly person. And and if they are, they can be powerful influencers like David or Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Esther, the ones we read about. And this is what we really need for the church going forward. Because it's not going to get any easier and it's not going to get any better. So fathers and mothers, will you work with your children to build leadership into their life? And for those of you with with grandchildren, will you do the same to encourage and strengthen your children to in their endeavor and their challenge to do so? Because these are difficult times. And, and it's not an easy time to raise children. And, and this is the responsibility that we each individually bear with, with our children, or those that we can encourage. And I'd like to read something as I wind up here from, uh, with some state, a statement that Woodrow Wilson, when he was president of Princeton University, said, when he was speaking to a parents group, one afternoon, and he said this. He said, I get many letters from you parents about your children. You want to know why we people up here at Princeton can't make more out of them and do more for them. Let me tell you the reason we can't. It may shock you just a little, but I'm not trying to be rude, he said. He said, the reason is that they are your sons, reared in your homes, blood of your blood, bone of your bone. They have absorbed the ideals of your homes. You have formed and fashioned them. They are your sons. In those malleable, moldable years of their lives, you have forever left your imprint upon them. That's what he told the parents. Who is training your son or your daughter? Your local public school? Do you know what those people believe? What are they teaching? And if you're homeschooling your son or your daughter... What are you teaching? Are you teaching character and perspective and courage, how to gain favor? So if we, with the help of God, if we are teaching our children as a church to to look to God in ways that strengthen them as leaders, we'll be building the future. We'll be building the future of the church with the help of God. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said to these in his audience who were convicted, he said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, because your children are in your hands. You have the responsibility for them. It's not just about you. It's not just about me and the lives that we lead today, brethren. It's not just about what we accomplish. It's about what we build into the children who will carry the day in the future. 
It's not just about us. Joshua, if we remember what Joshua said and then what happened, the people were faithful during the days of those of the elders and the people who were alive as he spoke those words. Israel was faithful during that time. And so we have not just the opportunity, but the responsibility and the obligation to understand what we're doing with our children and that we are responsible for their their education as future leaders. We read here for the promise, verse 39, is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call, some of whom will be served by your children, some of whom will be, will be inspired and encouraged and taught by your children in the days to come. And hopefully mine. Ephesians chapter 6 will we'll end where we began. Ephesians chapter 6. So we read verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. But they may not be able to read because they're too young. And so we have to teach them what is right. He says, verse, the latter half of the verse, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and may you may live long on the earth. Verse 4, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This, fathers, is our mandate. And if we will successfully fulfill this admonition, we will raise future leaders to be future leaders.